The food service industry has had its fair share of twists and turns the past few years, but where is it headed in 2024? Lizzie Fryer, Director of Menu Research and Insights at Technomic, joins us today to talk about restaurant traffic, international cuisines, LTOs, and more on this episode of the Food Institute Podcast, coming at you right now. All right. So first of all, Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you got a little chance to enjoy some R&R over the holidays. I know I did. But it's now 2024, and the Food Institute is going full bore on making sure you get the latest news data and trends. If you haven't already, please visit foodinstitute.com newsletters to sign up for our free newsletters to stay up to date with everything we've got going on and all of our great content. So with that said, I did want to welcome Lizzie to the show, and I was hoping you could introduce yourself to our audience members who may not already be familiar with you. Sure. Yeah. My name is Lizzie Fryer. I am the Director of Menu Research and Insights at Technomic. Um, I've been with the company for over 12 years, um, and it's been a very exciting industry over the past decade. Um, so um, at Technomic, um, I focus mostly on menu data and trends. So we have an enormous database where we're tracking thousands of restaurant and beyond restaurant menus on a quarterly basis. Um, and we're tracking everything from, you know, what are some of the fastest growing ingredients on menus to what are some of the top dishes. Um, and all of that data can be spliced in any which way. And you are absolutely right. It has been an interesting sector, especially over the last four or five years, um, but a lot going on there. So I appreciate you introducing yourself. You've done a lot of great work with us in the past as well. So I'm going to definitely recommend uh, anybody that's going through the archives, take a look for Lizzie's work with us. She really does a great job. Um, but yeah, what I really wanted to do today was really talk about, you know, some of the biggest trends we saw in 2023 and maybe take a look forward through the crystal ball into 2024. Uh, but one of the biggest trends I think we got to start with here is just the focus on traffic. I can't say how many you know events I was at, how many people I've talked to in the food service industry. It really seems that traffic was a major focus in 2023. So I was wondering what you could tell us about what Technomics saw in 2023 when it comes to restaurant traffic. Yeah, traffic has definitely been a top of mind topic over the last year, especially. It's been a really tricky year for the restaurant industry. Um, so I, I have a little bit of data to start off with, um, looking at the cumulative consumer traffic among the 140 largest US chain restaurants. Um, it improved by 1% on a year over year basis during the most recent rolling quarter of July to September, um, according to Technomics Ignite consumer visit tracking data. So that's the most recent data that we have. Um, you know, when, one thing that we talk about a lot during times like these, these high inflationary times, um, this, you know, kind of tricky uh, economic environment, um, is this idea of trading down. So consumers visit full service restaurants less often than limited service restaurants. Um, obviously, pricing is a major factor there. And in a sense, this is definitely true. LSRs are faring much better on a same store sales basis than full serves. However, you know, as we're seeing prices really going up across the board and some limited service restaurants, especially fast casuals, are increasing prices at a significantly higher rate than even some casual dining restaurants, we're not even seeing a trading down so much as an overall deterioration of traffic. So consumers aren't replacing those full service occasions with quick service orders. They just continue to opt out of food service entirely. Um, and the number of those who report no past week visits is currently hovering at around 30%, which is the highest since those pandemic months. 
So traffic has been really tricky. It continues to be tricky, but we're seeing a lot of creative efforts from restaurants, um, you know, across the board to really kind of drive that traffic. Yeah, and I think in a little bit, we'll talk a bit about some of those creative ideas, um, but I am really still interested a lot in just kind of some of the traffic and you know, one of the biggest things from the pandemic, obviously, was really the rising prominence of third-party delivery. Um, one of the things that I really saw, you know, that blows me away is how resilient this part of the food service sector is. But I'm wondering if you have any, uh, you know, insight on the difference between dine-in versus takeout trends. Are you seeing, you know, some of these companies making up some of that loss by being able to offer takeout? Are consumers still staying away from that? How are you seeing that play out? Yeah, um, absolutely. We're totally spot on with regard to third-party delivery. A lot of those restaurants that already had delivery in place before the pandemic were the ones that really thrived, you know, as the pandemic went on. Um, so yeah, we're currently seeing uh, weekday orders down year over year for off-premise occasions. So that includes takeout and delivery. Um, and they're relatively stable for dine-in. So, you know, the anecdotal kind of Order Tuesday dinner for takeout or delivery has eased a bit year over year. Um, one thing that we've done recently, though, is we asked consumers how they expect to change their channel usage over the coming three to six months. Um, and consumers are saying they're going to do more takeout and direct delivery, but at the expense of third party delivery and dining in. And what that tells me is that a lot of this is very much driven on the high price of third-party delivery services and obviously the additional costs for dining in. And that's interesting. I just saw a report today. I think Darden came out saying that they're still seeing fairly strong demand for food sales, but you know, alcohol uh, purchases are down. So I think that kind of ties into the same trend you're saying here. You know, consumers still want the convenience, but they're looking for ways to kind of cut costs on the edges. Do you think that's a fair way to characterize, you know, consumer behavior right now? Absolutely. I mean, adult beverages are going to drive up your costs no matter what. Certainly, that's a fantastic way for restaurants yeah. to get diners into the restaurant. Diners still want to go visit restaurants for that occasion, uh, but adult beverages are going to be a tricky, a tricky way there. And I think another thing we could talk about, too, is just day parts. And obviously, you know, the way people work has changed drastically since the pandemic. I know here at the Food Institute, we're still fully remote, but a lot of companies are starting to bring, you know, their workers back into the office, either on a full time basis or a part time basis. So I'm just wondering, you know, with all of that in the last couple of years, what can we talk about when it comes to day parts? Are you finding any that are particularly popular in any of the specific channels we were talking about? Absolutely. Breakfast is kind of the winner right now. So lunch and dinner occasions are down slightly from 2021 and 2022, but breakfast, both during weekdays and weekends, uh, seems to be on the rise. It offers, you know, that satisfying meal still, but it's a relatively more affordable occasion. And brunch, kind of in that same realm, seems to be the new dinner. So you can still enjoy the company and the adult beverages when you want at brunch, but more typically with a lower check average. So kind of an interesting one because we saw breakfast really take a hit at the beginning of the pandemic. As you were saying, you know, a lot of folks were not going to the office at the time. So grabbing that on-the-go breakfast on the way to the office was losing a lot of those occasions. But now we're really starting to see breakfast kind of in the, in the spotlight again. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Like you said, you know, it was one of those spots that seemed to have a lot of white space. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, the brunch part makes a lot of sense as well. You know, what would you say about the dinner 
portion. I know we were talking about people going more towards takeout and it seems like they're getting kind of pushed into the weekends. Is this becoming more of an occasion instead of just, you know, a weekly kind of thing? Do you think that's how consumers are viewing it now? It's got to be, you know, I don't want to call it like a celebration, but maybe an event is the right word. Something that consumers want to do as something to celebrate almost, you know, I don't know how you, you know, you actually uh, put the, the terminology, but to me, it does seem that consumers are looking at that dinner day part as more of an experiential kind of thing. Whereas, you know, before the pandemic, it definitely seemed to be, you know, maybe more regular. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely um, spot on. Um the occasion, something that's a little bit more planned because those spontaneous or unplanned visits uh, or orders are down. Um, but And they're definitely down to a greater degree at those full service restaurants when you're comparing 2022 to 2023. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult to be spontaneous at today's prices. So when you are going out to dinner, when consumers are going out to dinner, it has to be more of that occasion, that planned visit. And like I said, we're going to try to take a look into the 2024 crystal ball. And I know you said that you just did some work, you know, taking a look at what consumers want to do in the next three to six months. But I'm just wondering, does Technomic have any traffic predictions for 2024? Anything that might give us an idea of where the industry is going to go uh, as the new year approaches? Yeah, you know, I, I think in 2024, we're going to see continued good news for those limited service restaurants. They're going to continue to benefit from that trade down. Um, you know, consumers are still going to want to go out to eat, but because those menu prices have gone up, they're going to want to visit more of those limited serves than full serves. So for those full service restaurants, I think we're going to see a lot of those operators really prioritizing their pricing strategies uh, to make sure their pricing is in line with their value proposition. I think that's the only way we're going to see kind of that traffic really start to kind of boost up a little bit more in that full service space that they, they have to offer those exceptional experiences to help consumers justify the spend. Um, and then, you know, beyond restaurants, some of those non-commercial operators that really struggled throughout the pandemic, we expect to do uh, much better from a traffic perspective next year. So think of those segments like travel and leisure, uh, recreation facilities. Um, also, retailers are expected to perform well. You know, inflation is still higher, but it's definitely below the rates that we saw over the last year. So I think next year we're going to see some new and different kinds of challenges. Um, you know, consumer confidence is, is sagging a bit. Um, you know, high prices are still an issue. So these things are going to really continue to impact consumer behavior. But we're going to see a lot of these uh, food service operators kind of tap into their reserves of creativity to kind of thrive more in 2024. Well, I will agree. I think it's going to be an interesting, you know, dynamic to watch as the New Year Cubs 2024 will probably have a lot of changes coming down the pike. So we'll take a look at the end of next year and we'll see where we landed on those. Um, one thing I think we could talk about a little bit, too, is just this focus on beverages. I have two examples here. So, you know, unless you're under a rock, you probably know McDonald's just launched Cosmic's brand. Um, and, you know, there was a real focus on beverages there. A little bit smaller, but Taco Bell is testing out some coffee-infused beverages. I know we see a lot in the C-Store space as well, a big focus on beverages. And I think that was a major expansion in 2023. And I'm wondering, you know, is that trend still going to have legs coming into the new year? How do you see the whole beverage thing going? And we can even talk about coffee as well, I think. So I was wondering if you have any insights on that sector. Yeah, beverages are a great way to drive some of those incremental sales. It's a different kind of occasion, um, you know, especially for those Gen Z consumers, those younger consumers who are looking to treat themselves without having to pay for a full meal. It's relatively low cost for them. So we are seeing a lot of innovation in this space. 
you know, with coffee, certainly, as you said, but also with energy drinks and those refresher beverages as well. Um, and I know you mentioned Cosmics. Um, you know, it's fascinating concept, definitely getting a ton of attention right now. Um, I looked at um, Technomics Future 50 Growth Chains report recently, um, and this report captures some of the fastest growing restaurant concepts within Technomics top 1500 chain restaurants, uh, restaurant directory. Um, so all of these chains have total annual sales under $75 million. And Looking at that report, the coffee cafe concepts had a very sizable presence. Six different concepts qualify within that top 50 report. And then those beverage or snack concepts, there's three of them within that report. So definitely a lot of different types of beverage concepts. Um, you know, coffee cafe is certainly a big one there. We have things like Seven Brew, Drive Through Coffee, and Black Rifle Coffee Company, both in the top five. Um, so I think we're definitely going to see a lot of coffee and beverage concepts uh, slated to thrive in 2024. Thanks for sharing that. And this is a little bit of a tangent off that question. But one of the things you you brought up there was that, you know, Gen Z looking for these affordable kind of indulgences. And that's something we've seen here, too, with the Food Institute. You know, snacking, obviously, I think industry wide right now is a huge topic. But one of the more surprising parts of that, you know, trend is just how food service operators are able to kind of come in and, and take some of that snack share, if you will. So I'm wondering, you know, have you seen that as at Technomic as well, how food service operators may not be selling, you know, the big combo meals, but but, you know, that afternoon snack, getting a quick chicken sandwich, something like that, you know, chicken nuggets, quick burger. Is that something you're seeing as well? Absolutely. It provides a new day part occasion that restaurant operators can tap into to drive some of those incremental sales or some of that incremental traffic during a different time of the day. You know, we were talking earlier about how breakfast and brunch have really been thriving. Some of those day parts have, uh, you know, taken a little bit less uh, attention over the last few years. And similarly, that snacking day part as well. And snacking can really be, you know, a mid-morning snack, a mid-afternoon snack, a late night snack. There's a lot of opportunities throughout the day to drive some of that incremental traffic and some of those incremental dollars. So I think a lot of operators are attempting to do that with some of those uh, different day parts than the traditional breakfast, lunch, dinner. Very interesting. And I think one of the things too that we're seeing in the food service space is just the rise of limited time offers. I'm wondering, what can you tell us about the LTO at this point? Are you seeing, you know, tons of these being added? Is that kind of leveling off? What is that part of the industry looking like? Limited time offers are definitely uh, on the rise. Um, so when we're tracking limited time offers, we're tracking launches at top 500 chain restaurants and top 40 convenience stores. Over the last five years, launches uh, from a limited time capacity in this space has increased 45%. And there has been consistent growth every single year during that time, even 2020, you know, prime pandemic. So that is super interesting, especially when you compare that against core menu item counts, which, you know, even though they've been relatively volatile over the past five years, obviously we saw a major dip in menu item counts during Q2, Q3, 2020, the onset of the pandemic, a lot of operators took a lot of menu items um, off, really kind of pared down their menus to focus on core offerings. Core menu item counts have been relatively um, you know, minor with their changes. Over the last five years, core menus have increased less than 2%. 
So comparing that against the 45% uptick in LTOs really shows that that's where operators are very much focusing their attention. And we're seeing a lot of different types of strategies for these limited time offer concepts in order to either drive incremental sales, um, you know, differentiate their concept from competitors, drive incremental traffic, whatever it might be, really to kind of drive um, that excitement from consumers. And I think we're going to go back to the McDonald's will here because I think it's an interesting case study. Um, you know, they have some legacy LTOs, I guess you could call, you know, the McRib, the Shamrock Shake. These have been coming out for a couple of years, but over the last couple of years, we've seen them do really well with these celebrity backed meals. Uh, the Grimace Shake this year was one of the more surprising trends from 2023, I think. Uh, but it's really interesting to me that a legacy brand like McDonald's is still able to really you know, capture the attention of Gen Z. And I think at the same time, they're also utilizing these, you know, older uh, LTOs at the same time. So I'm just wondering, you know, from your perspective, and if you have any other examples, we could definitely talk about that as well. But, you know, what do you think is really helping them succeed when you take a look at, you know, how much they're leaning into the LTO at this point? McDonald's really is fantastic at marketing and marketing to specific audiences. I mean, you mentioned Gen Z, Absolutely. I mean, thinking about the Grimace Shake, I mean, this was a great example of how to use social media to really promote a brand. They did everything from, you know, cross collaborating with other brands beyond themselves. They gave the Grimace character a voice. Um, and then, you know, beyond social media, they launched exclusive merchandise. They launched a video game, you know, really the works. So McDonald's is a great example of how to appeal to consumers where they're at. And then within the individual items themselves, some of those launches are really kind of showcasing the importance of novelty items. So within Technomics menu tool, we kind of create designations for how to describe items that get specific ratings um, with consumers. So with a lot of these items that you mentioned, um, these items from McDonald's are really getting those above average ratings for uniqueness. They're not getting super high ratings for purchase intent or draw, but because they're super unique, these items are really generating a lot of buzz and they're primarily getting purchased out of curiosity. So if you think of things um, most recently that were launched, the, the mambo sauce and that sweet and spicy jam sauce, I think both of those were from this past fall. Both of these fall into that novelty item designation. They got above average ratings for uniqueness, yet really low kind of ratings for purchase intent and draw. But there is definitely benefits to that. Obviously for McDonald's, they stirred up a lot of excitement. Um, even though these offers, you know, they might not be available for an extended period of time, thinking about the McRib, things like that, they're definitely generating a lot of excitement from a specific set of consumers. And I think it generates a little FOMO as well, right? People don't want to be left out, especially when they know that this is only going to be around for a limited time. And even though it might come back in the next year or, you know, it might even become a permanent menu item at some point, you know, I do think that this plays into it. You think the, the think the same, basically? Absolutely. I mean, thinking about Starbucks unicorn frappuccino, uh, the same type of thing that was only available for a couple of days, which forced consumers to go visit Starbucks just during those couple of days, you know, regardless of, you know, what it actually tasted like, I think that, you know, it, it certainly served its purpose. It drove that guest into the restaurant during that time. 
So we'll switch gears a little bit here, but one of the things that the Food Institute's really been tracking over the last few years is the rise of international cuisines. And I forget who put the survey out, but I heard this year that, you know, with Gen Z for the first time ever, Mexican eclipsed Italian as the most important cuisine to that demographic. Um, you know, and I think that's indicative of just changing demographics within this country overall. But I do think that there's also this focus on like authentic um, cuisines from around the world. So I'm just wondering, you know, is Technomic tracking any specific cuisines that they, you guys think are going to rise in popularity in 2024? Yeah, I think just in general, there has been a lot of increased interest in new and unique global cuisines. Um, and like you said, that is definitely coming from younger consumers. Younger consumers are, uh, like you said, a, a changing demographic. Um, they are interested in trying new things. Um, and yeah, as a result, we're seeing increased interest in kind of global cuisines across the board. Um, some of the ones that I'm noticing um, kind of percolating more in your like independent restaurants or emerging chain restaurants with potential to grow more into the mainstream in coming years include things like African cuisines, um, especially from West Africa and Ethiopia. We're seeing Ethiopian flavors increasing 8% on menus over the past year, for example. Um, I'm also predicting more Caribbean flavors and Middle Eastern flavors um, growing more in the coming years as well. Um, and in addition to that, going back to that Future 50 report that I mentioned, there are a number of global cuisine-driven concepts finding momentum. So Curry Up Now is an Indian concept. It's seen 36% sales growth in 2022. There's also a number of Mexican concepts like agave and rye and tecambi also on the rise. Some Greek concepts, Asian concepts as well a number of global uh, cuisine concepts in the future 50s. So I think that that only proves just how much more types of global cuisines we're going to see in the coming years. Yeah, the Indian cuisine one to me is interesting because it's not necessarily new in the U.S. You know, there are a lot of independent Indian restaurants, at least here in New Jersey, where I'm at, I'm sure in Chicago, you see the same. But it is kind of interesting to see that we're, we're seeing chains, which, you know, at least from my experience, don't really see too many Indian chains. And it seems that they're starting to grow a little bit. So that's a very interesting wrinkle, I think, that, you know, what's old is new again in a certain way. Absolutely. I totally agree. And the one thing with a lot of these global concepts is they are kind of following the Chipotle format in many ways, um, in the sense of it's customizable. A lot of these feature um, bowls. Bowls are very popular for global cuisines. It provides kind of a nice platform, you know, one to customize, but also to kind of grab and go, which, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the importance of takeout and delivery uh, falls really nicely into that as well. So I think we're going to continue to see a lot more uh, global concepts kind of utilizing that customization and that bowl driven format. And I think there's a sense of familiarity with that as well. And you take a look, you know, Bubba Coos is growing pretty rapidly here in New Jersey. Kava, obviously, doing really well over, you know, the entire country at this point. And, you know, to your point, what do they have in common? They're offering a bowl of some kind. So you get all these different flavors and you get that familiarity. So I think consumers are really, you know, they're drawn to it because they feel like they get a little bit more, you know, of a choice when they're putting it together. But like I said, at the end of the day, it is familiar to them in some ways. So it makes them a little bit more likely to give it a shot. Yeah, I, I think that that's a great point. When it comes to a lot of these unique global cuisines, you have to appeal to your adventurous and less adventurous consumers alike. So one way to do that is to put those 
unfamiliar flavors in a more familiar format, as you're suggesting. And I think that that's something that we see a lot when, you know, we see pizza concepts or uh, burger concepts innovating. You know, it's the same format. It's the pizza, it's the burger, but it might feature a sauce that uh, is a little bit lesser known. That's a great way to offer a little bit of innovation, but in a more traditional format. So we're getting towards the end of the conversation here, but I did want to see, you know, just from Technomics point of view or even your own personal view, Lizzie, when we take a look into 2024, is there any major trend that you're expecting that might show up that we haven't talked about already? I think just in general, we're going to see a lot of um, menus getting much more transparent and granular. So we've been starting to see a lot more independent restaurant operators and some emerging chain operators actually calling out things like ingredient varietal types in menu descriptions or regions or countries of origin and influence, especially those lesser known ones, which we were just talking about. Um, You know, this kind of falls into that whole idea of transparency and that idea of authenticity. And this kind of in-depth detail is going to push the idea of premiumization and quality, obviously, in the consumer mindset as well. And so I think that's just something a little bit more broad in general that we're going to be seeing more and more um, at some of those mainstream operators in the coming year and years. Yeah, and I definitely think authenticity. I believe it was Merriam-Webster put it out there as one of the words of the year. So I think it's even bigger than the food industry, but it's especially important for the food industry at this point. You know, that word authenticity, you know, and I guess the other side of that coin is transparency, right? I think consumers are really looking for this. And that kind of goes through the entire conversation we had today, but especially when it comes to the international cuisines, you know, they really are looking for things that are authentic, you know. They definitely want to go after products and, and, you know, cuisines, brands that are connected to something that really, you know, drives home, you know, one culture's authentic cuisine, you know, and I, I think we're going to see more of that. So I totally agree. And I think that's a great point to bring up. Yeah. And I think, too, authenticity can mean different things to different people. It can mean different things in different environments. Um And I think that that's great for restaurants because it can mean anything from what's offered on the menu, where the ingredients are sourced, how the restaurant decor shows up. So I think that, you know, because authenticity really doesn't have a set definition, I think that is going to benefit restaurants because they know their customer the best. They know what their customer is looking for. So really, it's all about kind of meeting the customer where they're at. It's a great piece of advice, I think, as we head into 2024. Unfortunately, we're at the end of our time here, Lizzie. I wish we had a little bit more time to talk. I feel like I say that at the end of almost every episode I record. But I definitely want to give you an opportunity. If anybody wants to learn more about Technomic, where should they go? Yeah, I I would say, um, you know, visit us at www.technomic.com or reach out to me. And I'm happy to answer any additional questions um, or provide you with any additional insight. Excellent. We'll definitely share a link directly to that website in the description of this episode. We'll also share a couple links to some of the work Lizzie's done with us uh, on prior, you know, Food Institute platforms. I wanted to thank you again for spending some time with us today and also all the uh, other work you've done with us in the past. One of my favorite guests to talk to. So Lizzie, really thank you for your time today and really going to wish you a great 2024 and we'll see you in the new year. Great. Thank you. You too. And that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, thanks to Lizzie for spending some time with us and I hope you all have a great 2024 and start the year off strong. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell, signing off.